Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to this special episode of the HR Chat Show and our final release in 2021. In this episode, we're going to look back at the labour market over the last year or two and try to predict what recruiters, HR pros and business leaders can expect from the labour market and recruitment tech in 2022 and beyond. My awesome guest this time is Andrew Flowers, labour economist at Appcast, a global leader in programmatic recruitment advertising tech and services. A recognised expert on economic policy, the US labour market and macroeconomy, Andrew brings nearly 15 years of industry insights and expertise to his role. Throughout his career, Andrew has produced more than 30 research reports and is often sought after to provide insights on the changing labour market. By the way, if you enjoy this episode, check out the recent HR chat interview with Andrew's colleague and Appcast CEO, Chris Foreman. Andrew, welcome to the HR chat show. Bill, it's great to be here. Beyond my wee introduction there, Andrew, why don't you start by please introducing yourself a bit more and uh, providing a bit of an overview of the AppCast technology. My name is uh, Andrew Flowers, and I am a labor economist at AppCast. AppCast is the global leader in programmatic recruitment advertising technology. And uh, we are about seven years old uh, as a company. We have almost 300 employees spread across uh, four countries, the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Belarus. Um, and two years ago, in 2019, uh, AppCast was acquired by the Germany-based company StepStone, one of the largest global job boards um, in the world. And so AppCast, uh, our technology, in essence, makes job ads simple. Um, we manage more than a billion dollars of media annually, uh, and that translates from 1.3 billion job postings in our database to nearly 2 billion applications uh, and 10 billion clicks. And uh, by making job ads simple, our technology and our services, whether it's our Accelerate product or whether our premium service, we have a programmatic solution for recruiters who want to distribute job ads optimally across the entire internet. And uh, as the labor economist at AppCast, I'm responsible for um, monitoring the job market in the U.S., in the U.K., and in Europe, and uh, providing insights to our clients uh, and to recruiters uh, around the world about how to navigate this very challenging economy. Which is going to be a big component of uh, our conversation today. So um, as I mentioned in the introduction, this, this is a special interview. Uh, it, it's going live at the end of 2021. Um, which uh, was another uh, tumultuous year. That's that's for sure. And uh, today we will be having a look back on uh, you know what the heck happened since Q1 of 2020 with Andrew, all the way through to uh, hearing lots of his predictions for for next year and and, and beyond. So let, let's get into it, Andrew. Let, let's start by providing an overview of what happened to the labour market in 2020 and, and 2021. Perhaps you can take a couple, maybe a few minutes to explain the nature and the extent of, of the, the labour market volatility and, and the reasons behind the massive numbers of, of job losses, followed by the, by the scramble for talent that we saw in the second half of, of this year. There was a global recession because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And 
the thing I want to emphasize is that this recession, um, and let's just focus on the U.S. for now, was very unique. Uh, in the spring of 2020, there was a, a, a pandemic-induced shutdown in a number of industries. And so in the U.S., the number of unemployed people rose from 6 million or so to over 20 million, basically within the span of a month or two. It was a jolt, a shock to the labor market. And in the months and quarters since then, through 2021, there has been a rapid, some would say, surprising recovery. And that's what makes this COVID recession so different. So think back to the previous recession, the global financial crisis that started around 2007 and lasted for a few years. That recession had a recovery that was extremely slow. So in the U.S., for example, it took 76 months for the number of job openings to recover from where it was prior to that global financial crisis in 2007. But this COVID recession, which started in 2020, only took 12 months for job openings to re return to where they were. And since then, it's been astonishing to see job openings exceed that level by 50, 60 percent uh, from where they from where job openings were in early 2020. So this has been a demand driven recovery. Job openings have surged back. The number of unemployed people in the U.S., which, again, spiked to over 20 million, has declined precipitously down to below 8 million. And the fundamental mismatch between supply and demand is what makes this recovery so unique. There is tremendous demand for workers in the form of job openings in the U.S. That's over 10 million. And the supply of workers, again, approximated by the unemployment rate, is almost 3 million below that. Uh, so, so that gap is the largest ever. The, the gap that supply is below demand is the largest ever in, in terms of the data we have in the U.S. All this to say that the COVID recession really was unique, and uh, it's been quite a roller coaster that recruiters uh, and HR professionals have had to ride over the last two years through this COVID-19 uh, pandemic and the recession, and uh, it still hasn't normalized, and that's where we find ourselves today, this fundamental mismatch between supply and demand. As we're recording this conversation to today, things are unfolding uh, almost on an hourly basis uh, with regards to the the new variant, the Omicron variant. You know, it's caused a shock to the markets and um, um, borders are closing again. Um, and there seems to be a genuine fear that um, because of the 30 odd mutations that this particular variant has, that it could set us set us back somewhat. Now, given what you've seen over the last couple of years, Andrea, potentially, how could a variant such as Omicron set the, the global economy back? And, and specifically, how, how could it impact jobs? The appearance of the Omicron variant is troubling for sure. And just like the Delta variant in the summer of 2021, it could be a big disruptor of the job market and recruiting, specifically in terms of labor supply. Uh, would-be job seekers who are skittish, uh, who have virus fear, perhaps rightfully so, are going to be um, further scared from looking for work. So what we need to understand is that there is this fundamental mismatch between supply and demand that I mentioned, and it comes from a uh, shadow labor force of nearly 3 million uh, people in the U.S., 
who were working uh, prior to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and who aren't uh, working or in the labor force right now. And again, um, this labor force, the shadow labor force, there's a variety of reasons why people haven't returned to work, right? And I would put COVID fears as first and foremost among them. So the Omicron variant that has emerged here in the world in late November could definitely disrupt COVID-facing industries. So think of um, retail, uh, leisure and hospitality, so restaurant workers and uh, uh, people who work in face-to-face settings. Those industries saw a slowdown in hiring or actual outright job losses in the summer of 2021 when the Delta variant emerged. So not only do um, employers change their hiring plans and, and potentially uh, have layoffs when a new variant emerges like the Omicron, not only does that happen on, on the uh, labor demand side, on the labor supply side in particular, you have a lot of would-be workers who are concerned about the virus. And this comes uh, in many forms. It could come in the form of early retirements, uh, workers or, or would-be workers who are near retirement age who just don't want to um, uh, uh, risk catching the Omicron variant. Or it can come in the form of people who feel that they want to shift their type of job that they've done. So if maybe they worked in retail before and they just don't want that virus exposure. And in the U.S., we have a monthly survey from the Census Bureau. It's called a Household Pulse Survey. And sure enough, you can find month by month virus fear as a reason that people report why they want a job but aren't working. And so that's something to watch. I'm not going to make any firm predictions. But what I would say is if Omicron really does become a threat to the to the broader job market, it's going to manifest itself clearly in the COVID facing industries first. Uh, but that can have ripple effects throughout the broader economy for, for workers who work in uh, technology and business services or even manufacturing, because a lot of that spending, consumer spending in the form of, you know, of restaurants and, and movie theaters and um, uh, haircuts, a lot of that services-based spending would likely fall if Omicron really spreads it and, and worries people. And so there could be major disruptions to the job market in 2022 because of Omicron. We'll see how uh, contagious it is um, and whether uh, uh, the vaccines are as protective against it as other variants. So it's it's a very uh, concerning trend and it could impact the labor market. We'll just have to see uh, as more data comes in. Okay, it's part of your answer there, Andrew. You mentioned um, the potential for uh, uh, increased retirements, and you know we've we've seen huge numbers of baby boomers uh, retire over the last couple of years since since the pandemic. I mean, it was going to happen anyway, but um, it, it was accelerated. So, for example, uh, at the end of last year, I think it was uh, just under thirty million baby boomers re- re- retired. Um, what, what, what's the impact then? What, what's the impact of this, this mass retirement of baby boomers leaving the workplace with all that knowledge, all that expertise, all those connections? Uh, what, what, what does that mean for, for, the, for, the, for the labor market of, of the remaining 2020s? As retirements have surged during the pandemic, uh, it's been one factor among several that has restrained recruiters because the pool of uh, laborers, the supply has shrunk. And so you do see a trend over the last decade that as the baby boomer generation reaches retirement age, 
the percentage of those not in the workforce because of retirement is steadily rising. This is something demographers and economists fully expected. Of course, though, the pandemic really <laughs> accelerated that trend and, and pulled forward a lot of retirements. So as baby boomers um, are near this age and are worried about the virus, it's going to limit labor supply. However, one thing we have to keep in mind, and this is something I think a lot of people uh, don't realize is that retirement is a very fluid uh, thing for, for people near retirement age, meaning a lot of people unretire. Actually, the, the share of people who who retire and then unretire um, is very high. And what that means is if, if the virus fears subside, if the Omicron variant is not a big a threat to public health as, as we fear, then if, knock on wood, <laughs> The pandemic begins to normalize as vaccinations, particularly of the rest of the world and uh, of, of children in the um, in the rich world, continue. As vaccinations rise, if the pandemic starts to subside, then you would expect a lot of baby boomers who retired during the pandemic, not a lot, not necessarily a majority of them, but a significant share could unretire and want to go back to work because they feel like it's it's safer. So that's one thing to watch going forward. Again, so much of our job market predictions are contingent upon the virus and public health. Um, but uh, the, 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 the broader trends of retirement because of our demographic bulge are definitely a challenge and the pandemic has just worsened it. We've gone this far in the interview, Andrew, without me explicitly asking you about the causes of the Great Resignation. I, I think we've danced around it somewhat, and uh, you've you've, you've, <laughs> certainly, you've mentioned several uh, contributing factors. But uh, are, are there others, or are, are there are there certain uh, demographic trends or other other uh, contextual factors that that you'd like to particularly point out? You know, um, what 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 are, what are the key reasons be, behind the, the Great Resignation? Perhaps you can take. A minute or two and sort of um, drill that home for us. Absolutely. So uh, what is the great resignation? In my mind, the great resignation is the rise of quitting. And sure enough, uh, in the U.S. at least and in many other European economies, quitting is on the rise. What I want to emphasize, though, is that quitting is on the rise, especially in low pay industries and low pay sectors. So think of um, the statistics we have in the U.S. on the quit rates, which is the share of workers in a given month who have you know, voluntarily quit their job. It hit an all-time high in September of 3%. But for the leisure and hospitality sector, it's more than double that. It's over 6%. So quitting is, is particularly um, a phenomenon in lower pay, COVID-sensitive industries. Furthermore, quitting or the great resignation is what I would, uh, I think, fairly call a blue collar phenomenon. It's, it's particularly pronounced among uh, workers with less education. So in the U.S., workers with less than a high school degree or just some college or uh, just a GED or a high school diploma, their quit rates have not just returned to where they were prior to the pandemic, but have exceeded that far above and are now at you know near all time highs. All this to say that Economists think of quitting as a good sign in the economy, even though it makes recruiters jobs and it makes HR professionals jobs really difficult. Uh, the, the sign of the great resignation of rising quitting is a sign that workers feel empowered, that they can get a better offer elsewhere and that the job market is strong. So that from an economist perspective, that's that, that's that's a good thing. It just it makes recruiting really challenging. And one thing we, we're finding is that 
uh, wage increases, which by the way, wages are increasing across the board, but there's been a particular spike in wages for job switchers compared to job stayers. And what that tells me is poaching is as big a part of this great resignation phenomenon as anything, that people are not necessarily quitting work altogether or retiring, right? Though retiring is definitely picking up because of the demographics, as we discussed. The reason that quitting is, is picking up so fast is that wages are rising. And so people, workers are making moves. They're switching jobs to get a better pay. And that has enabled them to feel emboldened in this um, in this labor market that definitely favors workers. And so that explains the great resignation, I think, as much as anything, is that we are in a full employment economy that, that workers have uh, bargaining power and they're using it. What impact will, will Biden's $1 trillion infrastructure investment and jobs act have on labor in, in the US further, further down the line, you know, mid, mid 2020s onwards? Yes. Yeah, so in the short term, I would not expect um, the trillion dollar infrastructure uh, bill recently passed by Congress and signed by President Biden. I would not expect it to have a huge impact on inflation or the labor market in the short term. And the key there is in the short term, because um, the repairs to uh, roads and bridges and water systems uh, are uh, going to take a few quarters, a few years to really materialize. Now, if you're a recruiter in the construction space, you may start to see greater competition because public works projects, governments are going to be employing uh, and, and private contractors are going to be employing and searching for those workers more. So you, you, you would see very localized impacts on recruiting in those, those kind of heavy industry um, sectors. But for the broader economy in terms of uh, inflation or you know uh, competition for workers, uh, I would not expect it to have a tremendous impact in this in the next year or two. But down the line, the investments in this bill in terms of broadband internet, in terms of actual hard infrastructure for shipping, those investments could alleviate a lot of the bottlenecks, the supply chain disruptions we mentioned earlier. And so that would pr uh, uh, probably lead to lower inflation outcomes because there wouldn't be you know so, so, so many bottlenecks happening. Um, and in the long run, really what, what matters even more for recruiting is whether the second bill uh, that uh, is part of the so-called soft infrastructure bill or the Build Back Better bill that's still being debated, it may, it may or may not pass the U.S. Congress, um, that bill has, a, in my opinion, a much more uh, powerful impact on recruiting because in that bill, besides all its investments in, in climate change, uh, mitigation and climate change, you know, uh, reducing carbon emissions, there are huge uh, elements to that bill in terms of ch the child care um, subsidies, in terms of universal pre-K uh, and uh, child tax credits. And so those investments in kind of human infrastructure could really unlock a lot of labor supply in the U.S., particularly among um, uh, women. So we find that female labor force participation rates have not recovered to where, uh, to where they were prior to the pandemic in early 2020. So investing in things like universal um, preschool for three and four-year-olds or, or, or expanding the child tax credit, these are these are policies that could impact, for better or worse, um, labor supply. If the child tax credits go through and are extended, maybe that gives reason more workers to not go back to the labor market. Uh, but if, if the universal preschool investments happen, maybe that unleashes a lot of working mothers who otherwise would um, uh, feel obliged to stay and, and care for their kids. So all this to say, 
Um, the immediate hard infrastructure bill, the trillion dollars, is going to impact the economy in the long run, but not so much in the short run. But the, the human infrastructure bill could have long-lasting major implications for recruiting if it passes. Again, that's a big if. Andrew, I am sad to tell you we are almost at the end of this conversation today. Um, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. And, uh, you know, you've, you've taken us on a, a journey from, from early 2020 all the way through to sometime in, in, in the late 2020s, perhaps. Before we do wrap up, though, um, how can our listeners connect with you? So maybe that's through LinkedIn. Maybe you want to share your email address. And, and how can they learn more about all the cool things happening over at AppCast? Well, thank you, Bill. This has just been uh, a great pleasure. And uh, I just want to say we're honored to, to be a part of this end of year episode and uh, recap the challenging uh, labor market and recruiting environment. So if any of your listeners would like to be in touch with uh, me or AppCast, we would highly uh, you know, welcome you sending us an email. My email is andrew.flowers at appcast.io. You could also just go to our website, appcast.io. That's A-P-P-C-A-S-T dot I-O um, to check out our blog, our white papers, or to sign up for a demo uh, if you're interested. Um, beyond just email and websites, uh, definitely check us out on LinkedIn. Again, Andrew Flowers at AppCast. Uh, if you search that on LinkedIn, uh, either find the AppCast page or, or my account and connect with me. Uh, I would love to continue a conversation about the job market and uh, how we at AppCast are trying to build data-driven solutions, programmatic solutions to solve recruiters' problems. So um, with that, I just want to thank you again, Bill. This has been a great pleasure. The pleasure, sir, has been all mine. Um, and I'd definitely, definitely love to do this with you again very soon. But for now, Andrew, that just leaves me to say thank you so much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you. And listeners, usually I, I, I sign off by saying happy working, have a good day. But, um, you know, it's the end of the year. So I, I hope that you're with your loved ones at the moment and uh, you, you enjoy the rest of the holidays. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.